Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. We're going to start with the Sunday School song number 187. We'll sing it twice through the B-I-B-L-E, number 187. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Well, good morning. You didn't need your hymnals for that one. Uh, that is, that's a great uh, Sunday school song. If you've been in church uh, for a time from childhood, you remember that one. That might be a nostalgic one for you. Uh, the B-I-B-L-E, the Word of God, uh, that is uh, where we find truth, spiritual truth. And we stand on the Bible, the B-L-E, as our lone source of spiritual truth. So, Lord, thank you this morning. Uh, for your words. I want to ask you to turn this morning to uh, first, well, not first Colossians, but Colossians. Uh, Colossians. If you were with us last week, you may recall that uh, last Sunday morning we finished two books. So this Sunday morning, uh, we need to be about the business of beginning two books. It's been some time since we've been in Colossians as a church. Uh, it was actually uh, five years ago this morning that I taught an introduction to the book of Colossians, and uh, longer ago than that, uh, I, I taught or, or preached through the entire book. It's just a short book. It's four chapters, uh, 95 verses. Uh, but it's important, and it's been a time since we've been in this book. So I want to begin this morning looking uh, at Paul's epistle, Paul's letter to the Colossians. I want to just begin this morning by covering some uh, introductory material, just make sure we have some of the basic things uh, covered, reviewed. It's review for most of us, but if it's not review for you uh, this morning, great, let's, let's get a handle on uh, some introductory issues related uh, to this book. Before we do, uh, let's bow our heads and begin quickly in prayer. Father God, I thank you this morning for the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Lord, thank you so much for allowing us to have your words, your inspired words, uh, preserved for us and translated so excellently in our King James Bible. Lord, we're thankful for it this morning. Father, I thank you this morning for each one who's watching, and I pray this morning for their comfort uh, during a difficult time, a, a time of trials. Lord, I thank you this morning that we have the, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, uh, God indwelling us. And Lord, I thank you this morning for the Holy Spirit who aids our understanding and application of your words. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you'd help us to do just that. Help me as I teach this morning, help each listener now uh, to do that, to listen, to hear, to receive your words and with hearts that are yielded to you, with hearts that are of a mind to, um, of an inclination, Lord, to receive your words and to apply them as you may lead. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians this morning. Colossians. Uh, let's consider uh, just, again, by way of introduction, some, some uh, introductory matters. First, the author and the audience. Look at verse 1. 
Uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 1, look there please, as is Paul's format, as was the, the way uh, of writing a letter in the first century, Paul identifies himself first. He doesn't wait until he gets to the end and says, uh, sincerely, comma, Paul, like we might do today. This makes a great deal of sense. Paul identifies himself as the, the penman going into uh, the letter. And sure enough, here in verse 1, uh, he writes, Paul, an epistle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, uh, he's there writing with Timotheus. He says, Timotheus, our brother. So the apostle the, uh, Paul uh, penned down this epistle or this letter uh, to whom? Well, verse 2 answers that question. To the saints, uh, to the believers uh, and faithful brethren in Christ. Of course, remember to be in Christ uh, means to be saved. If you've repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ for forgiveness of sin, uh, the Bible says you are in Christ. And that's just a reference to the fact that you've been saved. Uh, his righteousness has been paid on to your account. Uh, the price that was paid for your sin by Christ on the cross, uh, that, that penalty uh, has been paid on to your account. You've been made right with God the Father. You're at peace. Uh, if you've repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ, you're in Christ. Uh, you're one of the brethren in Christ, he says, which are at Colossae. So there was evidently a church, uh, an assembly, a local assembly of believers, uh, those in Christ who had been baptized into a local assembly uh, there in Colossae. And th these individuals, that church, uh, are the ones to whom Paul is writing here. Of course, he's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, what can we say of the city of Colossae? Well, it was located um, in, in Asia Minor. It would have been on the uh, extreme western coast of what would be modern-day Turkey. Uh, it was uh, roughly 1,000 miles uh, to the west. Um, to the west, I'm sorry, it would be about 100 miles, about 100 miles to the east uh, of, of Ephesus, and, and forgive me, it's Ephesus that would be on the extreme west coast, uh, with Colossae being a bit further inland, 100 miles uh, pretty much due east of, of Ephesus. So uh, that's the region we're talking about, uh, these areas that were reached by Paul uh, in his missionary journeys. Now, I don't think we can say for certain that Paul um, planted the church at Colossae, uh, we know he had traveled through that area, he, uh, it, so it could have been planted by Paul. Acts 16 and verse 6 says, uh, uh, there Luke writes, when they, Paul and missionary team, uh, had gone throughout Phrygia uh, and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost uh, to preach the word in, in Asia. So uh, that reference, uh, that geographical reference there uh, would be consistent with the area where Colossae uh, is located. So we know, we know Paul traveled in this area. Uh, in Acts 18 and verse 23, the Bible says after he spent some time there in Antioch, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia uh, and, and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So again, Paul was there, but we don't see a very concrete, specific uh, reference to him pl having planted the church there. Uh, it, it's quite possible that it was planted by someone who Paul had, who had influenced, who Paul had led to the Lord. Uh, in Colossians 2 and verse 1, uh, Paul, Paul speaks of, of many people there or alludes to the idea that many had not seen his face. Uh, so that would be kind of consistent with the idea that maybe they hadn't known Paul uh, or, or been with him personally. 
But when you get back to uh, chapter 1 and, and, and verse 7, and look there quickly. We'll come back to this point in a minute. But uh, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul writes to them, And, and ye also learned of Epaphras, uh, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. It's uh, likely, uh, it's at least possible, and perhaps quite likely that this uh, Epaphras is the one who planted the church there. So we can't be sure of that. The Bible's not clear. The Lord has not seen fit to make it perfectly clear uh, who is the one that planted this church, but we can rejoice knowing that uh, this is the result uh, of someone having been saved and understanding that uh, the Lord's plan is that saved people be organized into assemblies, uh, baptized into that assembly, uh, and come under the teaching and preaching of a, a pastor who would lead that church under Christ. So, uh, praise God, this is, this is one of the New Testament churches uh, to whom Paul writes. Just a couple of other inter interesting things. We, we see in this book that uh, Philemon and, and Onesimus are associated with this church. They were likely members of this church here. If you look at chapter 4 uh, and verse 9, there's, there's a reference to uh, Onesimus. And of course, in Philemon, we see the relationship between Philemon and, and Onesimus. Uh, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 9 says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. So uh, it would seem to be the case that both of those men uh, were associated with and, and were, in fact, members of the church at Colossae. So that's, that's good uh, to bear in mind, just to kind of have a, a reference of some of the connections between uh, our New Testament books. Now, with that said, let's talk just for a moment about the theme, God's uh, apparent purpose for this book. There's a number of things that we will bring out along the way, uh, but certainly one of the most important and perhaps the primary theme that Paul is writing to address is that the church members at Colossae needed to stand guard. It was God's desire, it was God's will that they would stand guard against all of the competing philosophies of the world that desired to influence the church members at Colossae. Uh, Colossae was a place where there was a lot of different uh, types of belief systems, philosophical systems. Uh, there were Jews there, of course, and we know that there's a church there, so there's Christians there. But uh, there were also historically a variety of competing uh, philosophical systems, if you will. And uh, history records that a lot of these philosophical systems began to influence each other and, and to merge. There's a word syncretism, which refers to the idea of, of uh, different faiths mixing together, admixing uh, together, uh, having in, and being practiced together. So, of course, the Lord would desire that these church members keep themselves separate from those competing belief systems, those worldly philosophies. And uh, we'll see as we move through the book that there's, there's really a focus. Uh, a central theme is a warning about those philosophies and a, a desire on the Lord's part to help the church members at Colossae understand why those competing philosophies were wrong, why the church needed to stand against letting them creep in and mix into their pure biblical uh, New Testament Christianity. So uh, we'll see the Lord address through Paul, through this letter, uh, some very specific competing worldly 
uh, systems. I want to just give you a quick an acronym, and it, it's just one of convenience. It's, it's G-L-A-M, GLAM. Uh, Zach, that's not a word that I would normally use. It is a word. It's in the Scrabble Dictionary. Ray, it's a short way of saying glamorous, but there's nothing glamorous about these uh, worldly belief systems. Uh, we're going to just use that as an acronym to help us remember them. So uh, the G is Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism begins with a G, kind of like the word gnome is G-N, G-N, that, that uh, sound. Uh, Gnosticism. Gnosticism was the idea that uh, you, were, you were saved or that you could be right with the deity as you understand God by simply knowing certain things. Uh, there, uh, there's other errors of Gnosticism, but it focused on the idea of kind of a salvation through simple knowledge uh, of some truths. Now, this morning, you could have knowledge of the gospel. Uh, Satan has knowledge of the gospel, but until you take that knowledge and repent of sin and place your faith in Christ, you're not saved. Uh, you're not forgiven. So this morning, we take care to understand that simple knowledge of truth is not enough. There needs to be uh, an accepting of the knowledge of the gospel, uh, a turning to Christ from sin, and a placing of one's faith in what Christ has done uh, as, as the uh, only solution for our sin. So that's Gnosticism. Uh, legalism, so GL, legalism would be the next thing. Uh, this idea that you could follow certain rules or do or not do certain things uh, in order to be saved. We understand from the Bible, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for example, that there's no possibility of being saved through good works, either doing something that is right or not doing something that is wrong. Uh, salvation is by grace through faith. It is not by works. Uh, I guess folks like us are sometimes accused of being legalistic. Of course, that generally that, that's a reference to the fact that we teach and preach biblical standards. But uh, please understand that while we uh, apply the word of God in a practical way, that's biblical standards for living, uh, you are not saved by uh, conforming to those standards or not conforming yourself uh, to those standards. That would be legalism, and we certainly deny and reject uh, legalism as a means of salvation. So that's the GL. The A would be asceticism, uh, the idea of some salvation or being made right with God or whatever deity uh, you recognize, asceticism, uh, by not doing something, by giving things up. Uh, the idea that we would see uh, monks practicing uh, in history, uh, asceticism. Uh, I'm, I'm made right by denying myself, not doing certain things. Sort of the opposite of hedonism, where people really worship pleasure. Asceticism rejects that and says, nope, uh, I'll, I'll, I could be made right with God as I understand God by, by not doing certain things. So that's our GLA. And then M in glam, mysticism. The idea that we can be right with God by experiencing God, uh, experiencing God, mysticism, mystical experiences of the deity, uh, however you uh, define deity. So there were these uh, and others, but these seem to be the major competing systems of philosophy or faith uh, that were threatening to mix into the uh, belief system to the, threaten to mix into the biblical faith of the church members there at Colossae. Paul is going to counter each of them. He'll give a warning. Uh, he'll counter each of them. He'll help the church members to understand why those things are wrong with the idea of the Lord's goal being that they protect themselves. They keep themselves from those things 
that their faith would remain as purely biblical as possible. And of course, if we have an excellent translation of the Bible and we're in the Bible and we're in church under the teaching and preaching of our church, uh, now online, but, but hopefully not too far down the road, back assembled together physically, uh, we can be warned and instructed and uh, our faith can remain solidly biblical. That's the goal of our church. And of course, that is the Lord's desire. So with that as an introduction, by the way, if you have questions about any of that, reach out to me, call me, text me, uh, smoke single me, whatever it is, uh, reach out to me and I'd be happy to address uh, any questions. Well, let's just jump in. That's uh, probably enough of an introduction for uh, now. Let's jump right in. We're in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and verse 1, Paul will give kind of his typical uh, salutation, his typical greeting. We've already seen verse 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he understood that his apostleship and the ministry uh, that he carried out uh, in and through his apostleship uh, was uh, according to the will of God. God uh, chose him for this ministry, uh, made him an apostle, placed him into the ministry that he did, uh, sent him out, commissioned and sent him out uh, to uh, evangelize uh, the lost world. This was uh, made possible by Christ, and it was the will of God the Father. He says he's writing with Timotheus or Timothy, our brother. Of course, Timothy and Paul were brothers in Christ, and uh, and Paul is spiritual father to Timothy, uh, as we know uh, elsewhere. Let's see uh, verse 2. He's writing to the saints, uh, to the saints. The word literally has the idea of, of holy ones. Uh, if you have been saved, if you've repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ, the, uh, the blood of Christ covers your sins, uh, you, are, you, are, uh, you occupy a position of holiness uh, before God the Father, and this is the literal idea of what it means to be a saint. You've been, you, you've been placed into a position of holiness uh, and called to walk in practical holiness as uh, saints. Uh, the idea of a saint being someone who is voted into that place by some ecclesiastical or, or church hierarchy or, or church powers uh, after a period of time, not, not biblical at all. There's no biblical basis for the Roman Catholic idea of, of saints being uh, acknowledged at some point after their death. No, uh, faith in Christ makes us a saint in God's eyes. So uh, with that understanding, we see that Paul is writing to the individual church members uh, and to the church collectively. Uh, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, uh, those in Christ, the saved people, which are at Colossae, that place. He says, grace uh, be unto you. Uh, God's grace be unto you. He's praying that they would know God's strength. They've, uh, they've known his uh, his unmerited favor uh, in terms of their salvation. They, they, they did not deserve to be saved, but Christ earned that right for them upon the cross, uh, in a sense, you understand. Uh, and now Paul is saying, grace be unto you. This was a typical part, Brother Ray, of Paul's greeting. He, uh, he desires that they would know God's strength, and uh, he wants them to, to be reminded that in Christ they can find the strength of God for their life uh, and for their ministry. He says, and peace, uh, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, peace, we're at peace with God the Father because of our relationship with Christ, our saving relationship with Christ. Uh, he, Paul desires 
that they be reminded of that. But I think he's, he's just praying that uh, he's acknowledging that because of that, there could be a real peace in their hearts also. God's strength to you, God's peace to you uh, is the idea here. Praise God this morning, despite the fact that there's still a fair amount of panic in the world around the coronavirus situation, uh, because we have been, we occupy a position of peace with God the Father in Christ, we can also know a peace in our hearts, a, a calming peace, a comforting peace uh, that, that crowds out anxiety and worry and fear. Uh, Paul in his greeting is reminding them of that, and it's wonderful. Uh, he reminds them, the last part of verse 2, that this is from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a wonderful greeting, and I hope this morning that uh, it's an encouragement to you, as I'm sure it was to the first recipients of the letter there at the church uh, at Colossae. Well, Paul and Timothy go on, really Paul goes on, uh, letting them know how thankful he was for fellow believers there. Uh, and, and of course, Paul, we'll see, frequently would tell the churches and, and the members of the church how thankful he was uh, for all of them. I'm thankful this morning for Zach and, uh, and for Brother Ray, who are the only ones here helping this morning. I'm thankful for uh, half a dozen men that were able to join us on a, a conference call this morning for about 20 minutes of prayer. Listen, I'm thankful for all of our church members. I, I really desperately wish that you could be here with me this morning. Please know that I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your faithfulness, despite the fact that we can't meet right now. I'm thankful for your encouragement. Uh, I'm thank you for I, I thank you. I'm thankful uh, that you continue to financially support the ministries of our church uh, and the missionaries that we support around the world. And boy, I can tell you they're thankful uh, as well. Thank you uh, for sending in special offerings to help meet some of the practical needs of our church members. I can tell you there's practical needs uh, out there. And, and your special giving has made it possible to meet many of those practical needs. So thank you. Uh, Paul writes and he says uh, in verse 3, we give thanks. We give thanks to God. Uh, this is the Father, God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, praying always for you. Uh, I have a quote from uh, one man who I appreciate. He says this, he says, there's no true prayer without thanksgiving. He says, gratitude intensifies the soul's sense of dependence on God uh, and prompts the cry for the need needed help. Uh, and on the other hand, earnest prayer naturally glides into fervent thankfulness. Uh, prayer and gratitude, uh, prayer uh, and thankful go, go hand in hand. Uh, listen, a, a good amount of your prayer should be occupied by expressing thanks. Thanks for each other, uh, sort of a horizontal gratitude. You're thanking God for each other. Uh, and a vertical gratitude. Lord, thank you for you. Uh, thank you for saving me. Thank you for indwelling me. Thank you for protecting and meeting my needs and, and for your comfort and your guidance and your strength. Uh, boy, spend, spend time thanking God. Uh, remember in Philippians, as we so often uh, teach and preach, uh, there in Philippians, we're, we're taught to give our cares over to God with thanksgiving. Uh, and and uh, praying about concerns plus thanksgiving equals a peace from God. It results uh, in a peace from God. Lord, thank you so very much. Paul says we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
Uh, again, Paul, Paul did this often. He told the church members at Rome the same thing. In Romans 1.8, he says, First, I thank my God for you all. Uh, he, he was thankful for all of them. Uh, he told the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 4, he says, I thank my God always uh, on your behalf. Uh, Paul said the same thing to the Philippian church in Philippians 1 uh, in verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, uh, always in every prayer of mine for you all uh, making requests for joy. I say this often. I'll say it again this morning. Uh, pray for everyone in our church. Don't just pray for the people that you're closest to. Uh, pray for the people that you're furthest from first. Uh, pray for everybody in the church. Paul grammatically always made it clear that he was praying for all of the individual members of the churches for whom he prayed. He didn't just pray for the church at Colossae. He prayed grammatically, we can see, for the individual members of the church. He did the same for the church members at Thessalonica. He said, we give thanks to God always for you all. Uh, grammatically, uh, all of them, individually and corporately. He says, making mention of you, again, all of them in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. And of course, Paul told both Timothy and Philemon that he prayed for, for them, those men individually uh, also, uh, both in 2 Timothy and in Philemon 1. Lord, help us to be people who pray for each other always. Uh, remember, please, this morning, and, and I acknowledge this morning that uh, prayer is, it, it is a laborious thing. Hopefully you've learned to make it a labor of love, but we need to be a people who will choose to labor in prayer. It is not an easy thing, Brother Ray. Uh, it is not an easy thing to labor in prayer. There is, a, there, there is an element of labor in it, but boy, what a, what a wonderful way to labor. What a wonderful way to spend time uh, and, and to know that God hears and God answers our prayer. I'll say again this morning, if we will be people who are always laboring in prayer for all of the members of our church, I can promise you, I can promise you there's going to be an effect in our individual lives and there's going to be a, a corporate effect for our entire church as well. Lord, help us uh, in this regard. Paul prayed always uh, for them. He prayed for all of them and he prayed always. Verse three says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, always uh, for them. You look down in uh, verse, uh, verse 4 and 5, we start to see Paul identified very specific things, very specific attributes uh, of the people there that he was thankful for and that he prayed about. He prayed very specifically. Uh, in verse uh, 4, he says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which ye have uh, to all the saints. Uh, he, he was thankful for their faith in Christ. And uh, boy, Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you, Father, for Christ. Thank you for the faith that you've given us to place on Christ. Uh, Paul was so encouraged by their faith. Be encouraged this morning by the, the faith of your brothers and sisters in, in our church or your church if you're watching from somewhere else. Uh, be encouraged by that. Paul says, second part of verse 4, and the love which you have to all the saints. 
uh, exercise love one toward another. We talk about uh, the importance biblically of that all the time, demonstrating love to each other. Uh, I'm so grateful this morning that uh, as I've spoken to many of you, you ask me, how's this person doing? How's that person doing? Uh, some have provided special offerings to help meet needs. That is a wonderful Christ-honoring demonstration of love. That reflects a wonderfully uh, empowering, uh, Holy Spirit-empowering uh, yieldedness to the Spirit of God uh, and the fact that the, the fruit of the Spirit are being brought forth in your life. As you've yielded the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is bringing forth uh, the fruit, fruit from Him, which includes love. And uh, that's, a, that's a very practical uh, manifestation of your love, and it, it's a Christ-honoring thing. Paul was thankful for their faith in Christ. He was thankful for their love toward one another. Listen, those things go hand in hand. Uh, they, they really ought to be two sides of the same coin. Uh, yes, you should be thankful uh, the Lord's given us faith in Christ and, and, and love him, uh, but also take care, take care to demonstrate love uh, to one another. Uh, Paul's thankful for their love and the scope of their love. Again, uh, love which ye, all of them, have to all the saints. Uh, all of them demonstrated love to all the saints. That is a, that is a remarkable statement because it is not natural. Uh, Zach, that's not a natural thing. We don't naturally uh, demonstrate love to everyone in the church. It's just not a natural thing, but it is a supernatural thing. Uh, we're called to do that. Uh, Paul is commending that. Remember, Paul's writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit desires that Paul would commend them all for demonstrating love to all of the members because that was the Lord's desire. The Lord desired that they would be encouraged to continue all of them demonstrating love to all of the members of the church. Now I realize that you can't, uh, there's only so much that you can do. Uh, you can't go out and buy a bag of groceries for every member of the church or pay a utility bill for every member of the church or, or give all of your money to the benevolence fund so the church can help uh, where there's legitimate. You can't, you can't meet every need personally, but, but you can perhaps give some to help do that. Uh, whether or not you have financial means to do that, you can pray uh, always, every day. For, we're a small church. You could pray every day for every member. Uh, that'd be one of the benefits of being in a small church. Every day you can pray for every member. It won't take you all that long, perhaps. Uh, you, can, you can call and encourage people. You can send notes and cards. And thank you for the notes and cards that you've sent to me and my wife. They're a great encouragement. Uh, we received a letter in the mail this week from a, a, a man in town. I don't know him. But evidently, he's a Christian, and he wrote a letter to the church to thank us for delivering gospel tracts to, uh, to homes throughout our community. And what an, what an encouragement. I, I was greatly encouraged by that and by, by your letters as well. Look at verse 5. Paul's thankful for their hope. He's thankful for the hope they have. Uh, he says, for the hope, verse 5, which is laid up for you in heaven. There is a great hope laid up for all of us in heaven. Uh, all of us who are in Christ, who know Christ as our Savior, who have placed our faith in Christ, we have a certain hope of heaven. As we so often say, it's not a I hope so, but I don't know so certainty about heaven. We have a biblical written down 
uh, God-delivered, Holy Spirit-inspired certainty of heaven because we have the word of God that makes that clear. Boy, this, all the troubles of this world, coronaviruses and financial difficulties and uh, all the things that we see in the world today, none of that, uh, we'll experience none of that in heaven with the Lord. That is our hope uh, and what a glorious hope it is. Paul was thankful that the church members at Colossae had that hope and uh, boy, I remind you this morning to be thankful for that same hope. Let's move on. Paul's thankful that they had received the word of truth of the gospel. Second part of verse 5, he says, Whereof ye have heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. Uh, the word of truth, the, the, the word of God, the, the, the written word. Uh, Paul, Paul had uh, preached uh, the gospel as it had been given to him of the Lord. And uh, he had written down the gospel, the word of truth as the gospel in letters like this one as the Holy Spirit led him to do that. Uh, the people there at the Church of Colossae had a heart to receive those words and to help have Lord help them apply them in their lives individually and as a church corporately. Lord, help us to do the same. He says in verse six, which is come unto you uh, as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. The word of God has effect, Brother Ray. Uh, the Bible says it does not return void. It did not in Paul's day. It does not in our day. If you're paying attention and you're hearing the word of God, it does have an effect in our hearts, in our minds, in our life. You heard the gospel. You placed your faith in Christ. You've uh, heard encouraging words from scripture. You become encouraged. You've heard correcting words from scripture. You've been convicted. You repented of the sin that you were convicted of. The Lord blessed you for that. Uh, you, you've heard about uh, the importance to demonstrate love from the word of God. You became convicted about that. You yield to the spirit of God and the spirit brings forth that love and enables you to uh, uh, demonstrate that love. The word of God has effect. It is powerful. Uh, it's quick. It's alive. It's powerful. He says, it's come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you. All of them, each of them and all of them, since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Well, that's wonderful. You've known the grace of God in truth as well. Let's move on here. Paul prayed specifically. Uh, he continued to pray specifically for them. He prayed, uh, look at verse 9, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's word. I want you uh, just say this quickly. Uh, I'm not asking you. I'm going to say this quickly. Uh, what we see in verse 9 makes possible what we're going to see in verse 10, okay? So Paul prays some things for them in verse 9 so that some things that we'll see in verse 10 could be possible. See this with me, please. Uh, first in verse 9, Paul prayed that they'd be filled with knowledge of God's will. He says, verse 9, For this cause also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. They did not cease praying for all the church members at Colossae. Uh, Lord, help us again to have that same heart and to put that same heart into practice uh, and to desire. Here's the thing. Here's what they prayed. 
uh, that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So uh, Paul understood that it was so important. God led them uh, to pray and to always be praying that the church members at Colossae would have knowledge of God's will and they'd have godly wisdom uh, and a spiritual understanding. Of course, the Holy Spirit makes this all possible. Uh, as, as they received God's words, they had a knowledge of, of God's will as it's revealed in his word. Uh, and as the Holy Spirit gave them wisdom and spiritual understanding to receive and apply those things, uh, great things could, uh, could be brought forth in their lives. So uh, pray for each other's knowledge of God's will and for wisdom from God and for spiritual understanding. Paul did that for the church members at Corinth. Uh, pray that for each other. But that's a, that's a means to the end, not the end. Uh, the end to which Paul prayed those things is seen in verse 10. He says, that or so that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So back in verse 9, he prayed that they be filled with knowledge of God's will and wisdom and understanding. God, Paul prayed that they would, they would receive God's word and, and thereby acquire knowledge of God's will, that they would gain wisdom and understanding so that those things could be put into practice. Uh, verse 10 is more about doing, right? Verse 9 is kind of more about knowing, and verse 10 is more about doing. See the kind of the, the verbal or doing words in verse 10. You have uh, that they might walk. Well, that's a doing thing. Uh, worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, that our walk would please God. Isn't it an amazing thing this morning that your obedient walk uh, in Christ is pleasing to God? That's an extraordinary thing. Our our, our walk with Christ can be pleasing to God the Father. Uh, so, so their walk, uh, being fruitful, that's, that's a doing thing also uh, in every good work. Good works are a reference to doing uh, and increasing a knowledge of God as well. So uh, Paul prayed that they could have knowledge of the Lord and wisdom and understanding so that they could put those things into action. Please don't be content to just know the word of God. If, if you're convinced that God will be pleased if you just know about God's word, that's a creeping Gnosticism. Uh, and, and listen, that, that is exactly one of the false uh, philosophies or belief systems that Paul is going to address more directly as he goes along. Don't, don't be happy to just know God's words. Uh, I have a Bible college student here with me this morning. We know some other Bible college students. Uh, sometimes the, you, you, you settle to know a lot about the Bible and you feel like, or you allow yourself to feel like, oh, I'm too busy to actually do what I know more about. No, we have to be people who, who learn what the Bible teaches so that we can put the Bible into practice. And when we do that, God is pleased. Uh, God is pleased. Uh, don't be satisfied to just know God's words. Make it your prayer and pray for each other that we would put his words into action uh, with a yielded heart, uh, applying God's words and putting them to, into action the way God may 
press upon our hearts or impress upon our hearts uh, to do that. Uh, Pastor, I'm too tired to do that. I'm, I'm too weak. I'm, I'm too old to, to put it into any more action than I already do. Well, it, that certainly how we apply this idea varies at different stages in life. But what doesn't change is the idea that once we have knowledge of God's word and his will from his word, and we understand that God desires us to take that and put it into action, uh, we have God's power, God's grace, God's strength to help us do that. That doesn't change at any stage of life. I understand what God may call you to do practically, specifically, may change as you get older, as different things uh, impact our ability, but the power of God is always available to us no matter what. And I'm not making that up, of course. See verse 11. Uh, Paul prays the church members will be strengthened by the Lord. He says, strengthened uh, with all might, uh, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering and joyfulness. Uh, There's a lot of power in that verse. Uh, Paul prayed that they would be strengthened, there's a power word, uh, with all might, uh, the underlying word there is the word that dynamite comes from, dunamos, dunamos, Uh, strengthened with all might, uh, not something that we drum up in ourselves, but according to his power, and not just his power, his glorious power. Uh, We have a great resource, uh, a great well of power available to us in the Lord, not only to know his will from his word, but also to know how he would have us to apply it Uh, practically in our lives and toward one another uh, and that that is all accomplished not in our strength but in his strength his might his glorious power and Paul uh, alludes here to the desire that all of this point to and bring forth a patience and a long-suffering and a joyfulness in our lives as we apply these things. So we'll stop there this morning, but I hope that's an encouragement. Uh, this morning, I hope, I hope that God's words will be an encouragement to us throughout the day today, the 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and 6 o'clock hour. I want to encourage you to be, uh, be tuned in. Uh, you know, have your Bibles open, have your notebooks out. Let's, let's really take advantage of, of the full opportunity we have today to worship the Lord uh, in song, wherever you are, Uh, to get into the Bible and allow God to speak to us through his word, but really be yielded and say, Lord, show us today how you would have us to apply these things specifically, practically in our individual lives. And Lord, help us to rely upon your power, your glorious power, your strength to do these things today. Let's stop there and pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you this morning for your words. Thank you for uh, this letter to the Colossian church members. I pray, Lord, over these uh, next few weeks as we make our way through this book that our hearts would be to be instructed, yes, to gain knowledge, but also, Lord, that we'd be uh, encouraged and strengthened by you to apply these things. Lord, help us to come to this book each week with hearts that are yielded to you saying, Lord, how, what would you have me to see specifically? And Lord, how would you have me as an individual to apply this in, in my marriage, in my family, in my church, in, in my community? Lord, how, how would you have this to be applied uh, in our church? 
for your honor and your glory. Father, help us to just stay yielded to you throughout the day today, uh, Lord, that we might be built up and grown and know your leading in our individual and corporate application of these thy words. Father, I thank you for our church. I thank you for our members. I thank you for their encouragement. And I thank you this morning for the great privilege it is to encourage them in these thy words. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning.